You're to receive the offering from me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry, of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. So what's the theme? What? Willing was what I was... That's okay. Willing. Everyone there it was who is willing, whose heart prompts him to give. We've, we've been working on this expansion for about a month, and I didn't present it well, and so I'm apologizing for that. I said if you felt like this was your home church, you should give. And I shouldn't have done that because clearly in Exodus and the tabernacle is way more important than what we're doing. The picture there was anyone who's willing should give. Uh, God says to Moses, it was in Exodus 25, you tell them whosoever heart prompts him. And God is saying that. We always assume God is the one who prompts us to give. And that's not necessarily the case because God is saying if their hearts are stirred, then let them give. But kind of the picture there to me is God's not the one doing the stirring. He's just... If it's a response to him. So I apologize for that. I know you won't do this, but I want to lay the offer on the table. If you gave because you felt like you needed to because of something I said, because you felt like you were a part of this church and so it was part of your duty, I want you to let me know and we'll give you your money back. Seriously. Um, that's not, it's not good for you. It's not good for us. It's not good, period, for anyone to feel coerced into doing anything. So kind of where we are, we probably have four five, six weeks left, of, not four, we probably have five or six or seven weeks left of construction. We've, um, we've probably brought in about 40% of what we need, and that's kind of where we stand right now. And I'm just, uh, again, I apologize for the way I brought that up. I think my heart was good. My execution was poor. I just read Exodus about a month too late. So we'll know for the future how we need to proceed. Uh, Colossians 2, if you have a Bible, you can open to Colossians 2. We've been working through Colossians a little bit at a time. We're in chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So Paul, what he's saying there, so then, because of everything he said, because of everything we've been looking at over the past, seems like 10 or 12 weeks, because he loves them, because he's given himself for them, because he suffered for them, because all the fullness of wisdom and understanding is in Jesus, because he doesn't want them to be deceived, because of all of that, he's saying, so then, because of all of that, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to leave in him. That live in him. That idea of Jesus is Lord, that's something that for us, it's kind of cliche, it's a bit trite, you know, the little buttons, Jesus is Lord, but the, the gravity, the weight behind that statement is immense. There's about 6,000 times in the Old Testament where God is described or named as Lord. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus is given that name, they're trying to make a connection between God and Jesus. He's divine. That's the, the point of Jesus as Lord. It doesn't just mean he's my boss. It means he's God over 
everything. He is this. He is. He is to be worshipped. He's to all the things that we just sang, worshipped and adored and glorified. And this is from Daniel seven. Me hit a few things. In my vision at night, this is Daniel. I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. That phrase, son of man, was how Jesus usually referred to himself. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, he was given glory, he was given sovereign power. All peoples, all nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion, his kingdom, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when we say Jesus is Lord, that's what we're saying. All glory, all honor, all power is his. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe will confess He is the Lord. He has a kingdom that is eternal. That's what we're saying. It's not Jesus is my buddy or even Jesus is my boss. It's much more cosmic than that. He has a kingdom that will will last forever. And He is the head, the King, the Lord of that kingdom. And He is inviting us into that. Romans 14.9, for this very reason Christ died and returned to life. Why did he do that? So that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. That's everybody as far as I can tell. Everyone is either dead or living. The scope of this kingship, it's universal. Some people say, well, Jesus, he's fine for you and he's your little local God. No, No, he's the Lord of the living and the dead. That's everybody. You're either alive or you're dead. And He's Lord over both, whichever camp you happen to fall into. And at some point, we're all going to fall into both camps. And He's Lord over all. John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord. This is Jesus talking. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. The picture there, some people say, Jesus never said He was God. He was just a wandering prophet or maybe a miracle worker. He had some great things to say about ethics and morality. Jesus says, you're right to call me Lord. That is who I am. His self-understanding, how he perceived himself, was as this Lord that we just talked about. He deliberately used this phrase, Son of Man, to tie back into Daniel. So people would say, that's what I'm saying I am. All glory, all power, all honor has been given to me. I have a kingdom, and it's going to last forever. Jesus is saying that about himself. It's not it's. It's dishonest for us to say Jesus says anything less. You can reject him on whatever grounds you choose, but you can't say he never said he was the Lord because he did, clearly. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and has bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Again, to me, that's everybody. You're in heaven, you're on earth, or you're under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where all of this is headed. That's where all of history is headed toward, toward this singular point where everybody is going to recognize that He's the Lord. Some people, out of love, I think for some people will be fear. They're going to realize, whoa, I missed it. I missed it for a long time, but now it's obvious to me that Jesus is the Lord. That's where all of history is headed. That's what God is working towards for all of us. Luke 6.46, this is Jesus again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? There's implications for Jesus being the Lord. 
Sometimes, and maybe if you've grown up in church, sometimes we kind of have this false dichotomy. Jesus is Savior or Jesus is Lord. It's, that's silly. Jesus is Jesus and he's both. And for us, he's both. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins and then say, well, I'll see you when you die. He's the Lord. He's the King. He rules over all of creation. And He rules in our life as well. It's all or nothing. It's both and. Yes, He's your Savior. Yes, He forgives you of your sins. But He forgives you of your sins in order to bring you into a relationship with Him. He doesn't lord it over anyone. Read the Gospels. He's a wonderful King. He's a wonderful Lord. He's full of compassion, full of grace, full of mercy. He's patient beyond belief, forgiving to the nth degree. And he's the king. And for us, the question, Lord, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why are you saying you're following me? If you don't do what I say, that ties right into this. So continue to live in him. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. It's not enough to make an initial decision to make an initial commitment. We say all the time, God's not looking for starters. He's looking for finishers. Who's going to finish the race? That's great that we started. But He wants to know who's going to cross the finish line. So just as you received Him as Lord initially, that's what brought you into the family of God, so continue to live in Him. Reminds us of John 15. I'm the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain, abide, live in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain, it must abide, it must live in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain, live, abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains or lives or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain or live or abide in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain, if you live, if you abide in me and my words remain, live and abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, now live, now abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain, you'll live, you'll abide in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain and live and abide in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. You see the picture there. Living, abiding, remaining, tied to fruitfulness, tied to love, tied to obedience. They're all connected to one another. He says, remain in me. Abide in me. Paul, continue to live in him. How do we do that? He says clearly, you obey my commands. What commands? The Ten Commandments. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. We've got to know all of those. We've got to follow all. What commands are we supposed to be following? Jesus, in Matthew 22, someone comes to him, a lawyer comes to him and says, tell me, what's important? What are the most important commandments? What do I have to know? Jesus responds, with these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commands. He's saying the Old Testament, all of it, hangs on those two words. Love God, love people. That's four words. 
All of the Old Testament hangs on those four words. That's it for us. Now, sometimes we can get, depending on how we're bent, we talk all the time, there's ditches on either side of the road, and depending on which way we're bent, this can be tricky for some of us to tie love and obedience together. For some of us, our identity is tied to our accomplishments. So we are what we do. And the higher we achieve, the better we feel about ourselves, and we project that onto the Lord. Well, that's how he feels about us as well. And so with him, our identity, we've tied to our accomplishments. And for, for you to hear me say, obedience is tied to love, what, you, what you're hearing is, all right, well, I've got to get out there and get working. I've got to earn his love. What does it take? How much do I have to love my neighbor? How do I need to love my neighbor? How do I need to love God in order to get him to love me back? This is Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Sometimes we use this passage incorrectly. The picture here, it's not a contrast between an obedient life and a devoted life. There's no... um, Mary is not not kind of the the contemplative, devoted one, and Martha the one who's active and obedient and, and, and living life, and Jesus is saying, no, see, you need to all be like that. Go be a monk, move into the desert, and just... That's not the picture here. The contrast is not between obedience and devotion. The contrast is between Martha, who is focused on her. How many times does she say me in one sentence? Tell her to help me. I'm stressed out. Look at all the work I'm doing all by myself. It's, she's serving Jesus wonderful, but she's doing it from the wrong place in her own heart. She's focused on herself, and that's made her agitated, it's made her anxious, and it's made her angry with her sister. And she's trying to get Jesus on her side. Tell her to help me. That's all she wants. Tell her to help me. And what Jesus says is, no, Mary has got it right at this point. She's attending to me. She's focused on me. Martha, you're focused. It's not bad that Martha's focused on being hospitable. That was her role. It's that she missed why. Mary's focused on Jesus first. Martha's focused on Martha first. That's the contrast. It's not between obedience and devotion. It's on being focused on ourselves and living out of that versus being focused on him and living out of that. The key for all of us, it's yes, love equals obedience in so many ways. Read John 15, read John 14, read 1 John. You'll see the connection there between love and obedience. Love is expressed practically through our obedience to God. And we never earn his love through our obedience. Our obedience is a response to the fact that he has first loved us. That's what he's saying to Martha. Mary's got it right. She's starting with me first. We don't see the rest of the story. We don't know if she ever got up and helped or not. We don't know. But I think if you play out her life, she does. She's not just sitting around all day. At some point, she gets up and begins to obey him out of who she is versus Martha, 
who never focuses on him, who's never attended to him in this picture, and just begins with the activity. So for us to continue to live in him, that is obedience. But don't hear me, particularly if you're bent this way, if you're a performer, someone who tends to see yourself as a servant of God, a slave of God versus a child of God. Don't hear me saying that you have to obey in order to earn his love. You obey out of the fact that you've already received his love by grace. Back to Colossians. So then just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted. That kind of reminds me of that parable of the soils that we've talked about before. There's, three, there's four types of soil which represent four hearts. There's a hard heart. There's a heart that's shallow. And there's a heart that's crowded. Then there's this good soil, this good heart where the seed of the gospel can take root. That's who we want to be. And the fruitfulness from this one heart, this good soil, outstrips all three of the others put together. The shallow soil, the seed came, or the hard soil, the seed came and take root. The shallow soil, the seed takes root quickly. But when persecution comes, when trouble comes, when things get tough, they bail because their roots can't get deep. The crowded soil, the the plant takes root and it grows, but there are all these weeds that choke it out. It's not fruitful. It's the worries of this world and deceitfulness of wealth that choke out the gospel, choke out the kingdom in people's lives. We don't want to be that. We want to be this good soil. It requires tilling, the hard ground to be soft. You've got to pull out the rocks. You've got to get rid of the weeds. So it's a good, good soil for the gospel to take root. I don't know how to do that other than time with them. We've talked about that before. I don't know how else to get deep roots. I don't think you can get them fast. Those of you who garden, that's part. you can't speed that process up that much. It takes as long as it takes for the roots to grow deep. And if you're patient and you're willing to wait, those are the plants that are going to produce the most fruit and they're going to last. That's who we want to be. We want to be rooted in Him. We want to be built up in Him. Kind of the picture there is from 1 Corinthians 3. By the grace God has given me, this is Paul talking, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is that's, that's baseline for everybody. Jesus is the foundation. He's the only foundation. If we're going to be a part of this kingdom, if we're going to be a part of the family of God, Jesus is the only foundation. Any other foundation is sand. It's not solid. You can't stand on it. So that's, that's the same for all of us. Now here's where the choice comes in. Listen to your choices. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, that's judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved because he has this foundation in Jesus, but only as one escaping through the flame. So the picture there is two different guys. They both have the same foundation. They're both in the kingdom of God. They're both following Jesus. They're in the family of God. Jesus has their foundation. But then from that point on, they make two different choices. One guy builds with wood, hay, and straw. And you know what happens when wood, hay, and straw meet fire. Fire wins. Those guys, they're, they're still in the family of God. They're still in the kingdom of God. But kind of the picture there is they, they enter into heaven, but there's flames kind of behind them. They don't bring anything to the table. 
this other guy who built with gold and silver and costly stones, when those things meet fire, they're just refined. The fire does not win. The gold, the silver, the costly stones, it gets through. Those guys are bringing something to God. Read Revelation 21 and 22. It talks about the kings of the earth bringing to God their treasure. That's kind of the picture here. He's the parable of the talents. God's given us all something. Whether you think he's given you one talent or two talents or five talents, it doesn't matter. He expects you to do something with what he's given you. So what are you building on this foundation of Jesus? Are you building something that will make it through the fire? That then you can present to him and say, this is what I did with my life. We talk all the time about doing our deals, doing the good works God has created us to do. The, the point of that is that when we stand before him on judgment day, we can say, this, this is, that's not what gets us in to his grace. Again, that's, that's grace. That's receiving Jesus. But the Bible here talks about rewards. Throughout the New Testament, there's this idea of rewards. I have no idea what the rewards are. I don't know if you get a bigger house or you get a better view or you get a boat. I don't know what happens here. But there's some picture of reward. And it's based on what we do. We don't enter heaven based on what we do. But again, the foundation is Jesus. But there's this picture of what have you done with what I've given you? What have you built on this foundation? Is it a solid structure? Is it something that makes it through judgment? Is it something that can make it through the fire? Yes or no? If the answer is no, you're still okay. I don't know if it means you get a shack down by the river or what, but you get something. You're still in. But for the, those of you who do something, gold, silver, costly stones, there'll be a reward there for you. That's who we want to be. That's who Paul is saying we need to be. We want to be rooted in Him. Deep roots. And we also want to be built up in Him. We want to, make, we want to be sure that what we're building on this foundation of Jesus is something that will stand the test of time. We want to be strengthened in the faith as we were taught. We've Hit this a few times, just real quick. Verse 23. He's, this is what Paul says. This is in 123. You'll be saved. You'll be reconciled to God if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Again, there's this idea there's error in the church. There's false teaching in this church. And he's saying you've got to hang in there. Be strong. Stand firm. Endure. You need to overflow with thankfulness. This is from verse... Um, 11, again, be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Our response is always gratitude. We're strengthened by His Spirit and our response to Him is thank you. Thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for giving me the courage. Thank you for giving me the grace to stand firm. Thank you for giving me eyes to see where, these error, where this error is coming. Thank you for seeing me through. It's not a matter of God leaving us alone and saying, I hope you can make it. He fills us with the Spirit. He encourages us, strengthens us on the inside to see us through. And our response to Him is always gratitude. This is what I want us to do. So I read this book a few weeks ago. It's called The Leadership Ellipse. It's a 6 out of 10, uh, if you're interested, by a guy named Robert Freiling. The point of the book is he's saying we need to integrate our hearts with our life. Absolutely. We need to marry our intentions with our execution, but oftentimes we focus on one of the others. Some people focus just on their heart and kind of getting these spiritual disciplines together and being conformed to the image of Jesus internally, which is wonderful. Other people focus more on externals, on execution, on becoming better people or doing their deals or becoming better leaders or whatever that looks like. And what he's saying is we need to hold both of those things 
together. We need to marry intention and execution. We want our behavior to be reflective of what's in our heart. We want what's in our heart to come out in our behavior. And so the, the whole book, that's the premise, and this is the last five pages. He says, here's a practical tool for you to start working on this. It's called a life rule. He took it from the Benedictine monks in the 6th century. Theirs was very detailed. His is much less so. And this life rule, what he says is that's you intentionally saying, this is how I'm going to allow the things that God has put in my heart to come out of my life. This is what I'm going to do to continue to live in him. This is how I'm going to continue to stay rooted in him, how I'm going to continue to stay built up in him and to make sure that what I'm building on this foundation is something that will last. It's, just, it's, a, it's a practical tool for making your intentions, what's in your heart, um, come through in your life in the execution of what you do on a daily basis. And for us, I want all of us to do it. We're not going to do it today, but I want all of us to begin to work on this. Let me set it up for you, and then um, we'll go from there. These are, these are three things you need to know going in, some caveats. One, whatever you come up with, this rule, it needs to be, it needs to be flexible. You don't want to be hard. You don't want to be rigid. Jesus jumps all over the Pharisees. He says that you've piled rule upon regulation on top of the backs of these people, and you won't lift a finger to help them. That is not what this thing is. This is not a yoke around your neck to make you feel guilty. It's the, the point is to help us be intentional in living out the things that are in our hearts. We need to be flexible. We need to recognize nobody lives perfectly. You're not, whatever you set out and say, this is what I want to do, you're going to fail. You're going to be out of town. You're not going to be able to make it. You're going to be lazy. You're going to have a bad day. Something's going to happen. You're going to fail. It's okay. The point, again, is not to follow this rule. It's to follow Jesus, and the rule should help you do that. And the last thing is it needs to be based on your personal relationship with God. It needs to be based on the things that God has put in your heart how you see him working in you, who, who he wants you to become, and what he wants you to do. You can't copy somebody else's. You have your own deal. This needs to come out of that. God is doing certain things in your character in terms of conforming you into the image of Jesus. For some of you right now, he's working on patience, or for some it's joy, or for some it's life rhythm. There are different things that he's doing, and you've got to grab on to what he's doing in your own life and figure out how to execute that. So a few weeks ago... Penny and Kim and I, this, I read the book and said, we're going to be the guinea pigs. And so Penny and Kim and I did it. They, I made them do it because they are employees here, so they have to say yes. Y'all don't have to say yes. So, um, so we, we did this, and this, Alex, will you show that one? This was mine. So this is mine. I seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You've heard that before. That's a big deal for me, one of the uh, main two or three scriptures, themes in my life. And so I listed some things that I, that I felt like were necessary. This is what I want to do. These bullet points, that's what I want to do in order to be that italic. So if I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, these are the things I have to do. Spend time with God, obey Him, a life transformation group, that's an accountability group I meet in once a week, grow my understanding of who I am, and live a life of sexual, financial, and social integrity. That social integrity just means if you if you go out to dinner with me on Friday, I need to be the same guy that I am on Sunday. Will you show the next one, Alex? So this, um, the second big scripture for me, walk in the good works God has for me. And so I said, that's, these are the things I need to do. I need to be filled with the Spirit. As a pastor of this church, my deal is to help people do their deal. So I need to make sure I'm doing that as the pastor of the church. That's the second one. I need to figure out what my role is in the body of Christ in Marietta 
and I want to encourage people uh, to be good citizens in the kingdom over being good members in Stonebridge. That keeps me from building my own kingdom and focusing on his. You show the next one, Alex, please. And then this last thing, Genesis 1 and 2, talks about our rhythm of life, work, rest, and relationship. I don't like the word balance because it makes everything sound like it has to be even. I don't think that's the case. I think we just need to maintain a good rhythm. And so for work, these are the things I've said I want to do to have a rhythm in work. I want to have regular hours and not assume urgency. That just means it's okay to tell somebody, let's wait till tomorrow versus doing it now. Guard my times with the Lord and honor the meetings, the staff and leadership, the meetings that I have by being prepared and listening to the Lord. We show the next one, please, Alex. So a rhythm of rest. Take off two days. Use all my vacation days and recognize that all I can do is what I can do. It's not my responsibility to build this thing. And then lastly, please, Alex, my relationships. So rhythm there, having a date with Misty. That's my wife being present in the lives of my kids. Um, that's just that's being there. That's not super heroic. <laughs> that's just being in the lives of my children and maintaining and cultivating friendships outside of ministry relationships. So that's mine. It comes out of the stuff that's in my heart. And you, you hear that. Uh, we show the next one, Alex. This is Penny's. So you see her two scriptures, Micah 6 to 8. In Colossians 3.23, and then she says, this is what I'm going to do. Um, to act justly, I want to live a life of integrity by doing these things, spending time with the Lord, being in accountability relationships, being careful um, and obedient in what she watches and reads and discusses and being a good steward. Next, please. She wants to love mercy, so she wants to be compassionate and loving by doing these things, allowing her heart to be broken by what breaks God's heart. She wants to walk humbly with God by embracing and doing her good works. Next, please. And then she, she looked at her roles in life, her three, three or four major roles as a mom. She's going to do these things. She has two uh, teenagers, and she's saying she wants to pray for them and spend time with them and um, have regular meals with them. And as a pastor, as our children's pastor, she's going to do these other things, being intentional, growing as a leader, being creative, being relational. What's next, please? As a friend, daughter, and sister, this is what I'm going to do. You see how specific she's being. Talk to her mom every day. Talk to her brother once a week. And then to balance work and rest. She says she's going to take a rest from everything one day a week. Spend 30 minutes to half to an hour alone each day. All of those things. So that was us. That was what Penny and I came up with. And I'm going to let Kim share with you what she came up with. Her take on the assignment was a little bit different from uh, ours. Um, so David gave us the assignment, and when I sat down to write my rule for life, I felt a little resistance in my heart, um, but I didn't take time to really ask the Lord why or why it was bothering me. Um, I was like, oh, I just need to do it. So um, so I put down a few things. I used Romans 12 as a verse to guide me and um, wrote down a few things, but mainly my main rule was just ask God for help because after writing some of these things, I was like, I can't do any of this stuff or um Whatever, and I just need help because um, I, 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 when I started to write them, the first thing that um, kind of one of the reasons I felt resistance was I felt, gosh, I already have all these self-imposed rules. I'm already driven by all these things, and I don't want to make more rules for myself. Um, and it just felt like, uh, you know, inside of me. And so I was just like, God, I just need help. And um, and so I just wrote down a few things, like I said, and. Um, but still is kind of just feeling this um, resistance inside. But um, so then it was time for us to share. 
and um, David asked me to go first, and I was like, great. <laughs> so I, um, so I kind of read through mine quickly with my head down, and, um, and then uh, in there kind of like, okay, that's it. <laughs> and, uh, and then they started sharing theirs, these long lists, and um, kind of patting each other on the back, good job, that's awesome. <laughs> what a great, great, great rules. You did great. And I was just sitting over there I was, the whole time as they were sharing. I was kind of trying to fight back tears. Um, and I didn't, you know, expect to have that reaction. Like I knew I was resistant to it, but like I said, I didn't take time to ask God why I was resisting it. And so then when we were sharing, I just, this emotion just started coming out and I wasn't quite expecting that and didn't know exactly where it was coming from. But um, so after we were done, I, we just, Mike had just put some shelves in this closet. So I came back to organize the closet and, um, kind of hide out, <laughs> I guess. And, um, sorry. And, um, and so I just began asking God, like, why did I have this reaction? What's going on in my heart? And, um, the first thing that came to my mind was that I've always kind of struggled with the feeling like a slave, um, more than feeling like a daughter and, um, just growing up being a Christian or, going to church was more about religion, which is based in performance, um, performing for God or performing for others, um, than about a relationship with the loving Father. And so um, kind of always, so I think some of this kind of, um, you know, was showing me what's still in my heart about that. But um, just growing up, there was requirements that I had to meet. And if I met them, then I felt good about myself, and I projected those feelings on God. Well, he, you know, he's happy with me now. I've met these requirements or whatever. And then if I didn't meet them or didn't do what I was supposed to, then um, then I felt bad about myself and felt God was disappointed with me too. Um, and I could only, I felt like I could only uh, receive His love if I had earned it. Um, that I couldn't just get it out for doing nothing. Um, so everything that I did was based out of fear and not out of love. I, I wanted him to like me and not reject me. And so, um, I was going to do these things just to, so that he would like me. Um, uh, but then, you know, as I've been growing in my faith, um, I know the Lord's been showing me, you know, how that I was wrong. That's the wrong way of thinking that he says, um, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And we love because God first loved us, that I had to learn to receive his love and know that I'm loved and, and know that, um, and trust, trust his heart for me, that it's good and that, sorry, that it's good and that he loves me. And then, um, as I fall in love with him, I want to obey his commands. I don't want to hurt him or disappoint him um, because I know I'm loved, because I know he loves me, and so it makes me want to follow him and want to do all these things because I love him, because I know I'm loved perfectly by um, a wonderful father and a great king and um, someone who's looking out for the very best for me. Um, so I know I've been growing in these things, but doing trying to do this assignment revealed that um, even though I know these things in my head, that there were still some issues in my heart that I'm um, just struggling to believe um, his love for me. Um, so, you know, like as David was saying earlier, we don't want our identity to be tied to our accomplishments. If I do this, then I can feel good about myself and God feels good about me. Um, but in believing that we're only loved when we do something good. So if you kind of start doing this and feel some kind of resistance or pull um, this way, then just you know, take time to ask God, um, who am I to you, and how do you feel about me, and um, just ask him for revelation about um, his heart for you, and um, so I just took Romans 12 then, and I was um, able to just 
write down some things, but mostly right now I'm just kind of focusing on just um, help me to, to know that I'm your daughter and that I'm loved by you perfectly. Help me to, to believe it in my heart. So. They don't clap for me. <laughs> They'll never clap for me. So this is, uh, this is, what, this is what we want you all to do. I want everybody to give it a shot. And we're working on some uh, this thing on the website we'll, where we will be able to share. You don't have to put your name on it, I don't think. But I'd, I'd love to see what everybody says. But, or and, however you want to say it. Like with everything we do, there's ditches. And for some of you, we'll call it the Kim Ditch. And some of you are going to fall into that. And, and that's, there's also a David Ditch. I just don't want to refer to myself in the third person. There's this ditch over here that I fall into. I'm 100% secure in who I am in Jesus. Sometimes, though, I act like a lazy son, and I sit on the couch. There's things that I know in my heart. There's things that I know I need to, and, and weeks will go by where I'm not actually doing, for whatever reason, I'm oblivious or I'm apathetic or I'm lazy or I'm busy or I'm afraid. For whatever reason, I'm not doing the things that are in my heart to do. And so, I, to me, I need the accountability of laying this rule out. It's helped me already this week. Uh, over the past few days, it's helped me. Some of the things I wrote down, it's helped me to say yes to my kids more often. I said no to work a couple of times when I was on vacation. It was it was good for me to do. So if you're falling to my ditch, which is you you know who you are in Christ, it's just sometimes you think you're the you're the pampered son um, or daughter. You need a you need a rule. You need something to to bring some intentionality behind what you're doing. It could be that you're scatterbrained, you have a lot going on, and, and, and maybe you're like me and you look up sometime and you've written something great in your journal and you've already forgotten about it because you're not actually doing it. We've said before that the, the point of all of this, it's not just to hear, it's to do. We want to do the good works God has created for us to do, not just to know the good works that God has created us for us to do. But then there are others of you who are like Kim and you don't need this. The last thing you need is a list of things, uh, rules or um, expectations because it's going to be a weight on your neck. It's going to cause you to perform. You're going to feel like you're earning God's love. If that's you, you, don't, you need to stop at where she stopped. You need to stop with the verses. You, need to, you do need to get some revelation. Who does God want me to be? What's he doing in my heart right now? What are the things he wants me to be doing? What are the good works he's created for me to do? And then you just need to stop. You don't need to put anything else around that. Or it's going to lead you to being driven and it's not going to be helpful at all. So you know which ditch you tend to fall in. And we're going to just trust that you'll, you'll do what's best for your own heart um, with that. So anyway, we want you, I want you to begin to think about that, pray about that. It might take a while. I don't think it's something that you can just whip out in 30 minutes, but you know, spend some time. If you're married, talk to your spouse. You can look at it from a work perspective, family, um, finances, character, call all of those things. What kind of whatever the Lord is doing in your life right now. This isn't to set direction for you for the next 20 years. It's to set direction for you for the next 20 weeks. That's kind of what we're talking about here. So. Um, Anyway, we'll be talking about this a little bit more over the next few weeks, trying to encourage you to um, keep this up. I think it could be really good uh, for most of us. So I'm going to pray. Uh, Les and Ashley are going to come and lead us, uh, close us out in worship. You guys would pray with me.